Good morning, Hope Church. How are we doing today? It's Potluck Sunday, people! We got food after this. That's great, isn't it? Sorry, uh, all you people who are joining us live stream. Um, although, you know, you still have time to get here. You do. Sermon's only going to be about an hour and a half, so. Just a couple of chuckles, that's all I get, really? Okay. Well, listen, it is so exciting to be back here with you guys sharing from God's Word. It's, it's an incredible privilege for me to share from God's Word. And um, one of the things that I like to do is I like to share little snippets about me. And I think you guys have gotten to know me well enough to this point to answer a couple of questions. So I'm going to ask, ask some questions. Let's see if you guys can answer them for me. What's my favorite food? Very good. Excellent. What's my favorite sport? Oh, that was, okay, you guys got that one, right? And my favorite team? The Blackhawks, right? I love hockey. I'm a big hockey fan. I'm a big Blackhawks fan. I grew up playing hockey, and, you know, I went to the Chicago Stadium, right? The old barn, they used to call it, to watch the Blackhawks play. I love watching good hockey. Uh, I don't like it that much, but uh, the weather makes up for it. In the 1990s, though, and in the early 2000s, the Blackhawks were not a very good team. They were pretty bad. And then there was a change in leadership. And Rocky Wirtz took over after his father passed away. And things started to change. And they drafted some very good players. And by 2009, they were a pretty good team. But they were missing a couple of pieces of the puzzle that would make them an elite team. And one of those pieces was Marion Hosa. Marion Hosa, future Hall of Famer, no doubt. Probably one of the best two-way forwards to ever lace up the skates. Marion Hosa was traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. But you know, in 2009, Marion Hosa played for the Detroit Red Wings, whom we don't like very much. But he played for the Detroit Red Wings, and they played for the Stanley Cup. They made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, for those of you who don't know, Lord Stanley's Cup is the championship trophy in hockey. It's like the Lombardi Trophy in football. And every young player comes into the league with the dream of hoisting Lord Stanley's Cup over their head as the champion. And Marion Hosa was no different. But he played for the Red Wings, and he played for the Stanley Cup in 2009. But they lost. And they lost, ironically, to a team that he had played for the year before. It's a really interesting story. But in 2009, he was traded to the Chicago Blackhawks. But you know, that trade meant that there was a couple of things that needed to change. First, he had to change his perspective on the game, how he thought about the game. See, the Hawks played a different system than the Detroit Red Wings. So Marion Hosa had to change how he viewed the game, how he played the game. Second thing he had to do is he had to change uniforms. Right? He had to get rid of that old Detroit 
uh, Red Wing uniform and put on the Blackhawks uniform. See, that old uniform was no longer appropriate for his new identity as a Chicago Blackhawk. He had to put off the old and put on the new. So Marion Hosa was changed by that trade. He was transformed into a Blackhawk. And of course, the Blackhawks went on to win the Stanley Cup in 2010. And they won it twice more in the next four years. With that trade, Marion Hosa was finally able to play for a winning team. Isn't it great to know that we play for the winningest team ever in anything? Isn't it great, comforting to know that, that God made a trade for us? He traded his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be on his winning team for all eternity. Because friends, that's exactly what he did. And that's what we find the Apostle Paul writing about in his letter to the church at Colossae. Today we're going to continue in our series, this study of the book of Colossians. And what we're going to find in today's passage is that because of the trade that God made for us, we too are to put off the old and put on the new. So, We've been away from our study for the last few weeks. I was taking a much-needed vacation. But, you know, in the meantime, we heard some, some wonderful messages that honestly fit well with Paul's teachings from this book we call Colossians. And we'll see how that kind of meshes together as we go along. Now, <clears throat> we're about halfway through this book. And really what Paul has done is he spent the first two chapters detailing for the Colossians, and for us, of course, right? Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, but this is intended for us as well. And what Paul is doing is he's detailing the theological truths of a couple of things. Number one, who Jesus is. If you remember, Paul made it clear in chapter one that Jesus is supreme, right? The supremacy of Christ, that's one of the themes that we see running throughout this book. The supremacy or the preeminence of Christ. Jesus is the image, right? Paul says the image, or he is the exact representation of God. He is, in fact, God. Jesus is the creator of all things, and in him all things hold together. And because Jesus is God, it is he and he alone that can reconcile us. And Paul tells us early on that he reconciles us through, does anyone remember? His death, right? He reconciles us through his death. It is the shed blood of Jesus Christ and nothing more. Right? That's the other theme that runs throughout this book, right? The, the sufficiency of Christ. The shed blood of Jesus Christ is all we need for salvation. We don't need anything else. Paul's also gone into great detail describing who we are. Who we are in Christ. In 
Christ. The emphasis is on in Christ. See, when we submit to the supremacy of Christ, we are then made alive in Christ. We're no longer living in sin. We're dead to our transgressions. We're dead to our sins because Jesus took that sin debt, right? That sin debt that we all have, that debt that we could never pay, he took that and he nailed that to the cross. And that sin debt died with him. Therefore, therefore, or in other words, because of the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf, Paul says we walk in Christ. We walk in him. And Paul reminds us that we continue to grow and we continue to mature in the knowledge of God. He talks about us being rooted, right, and grounded and built up in Christ, in Christ, established in the faith. Because of that, because of that, we're free, right? We're free from religion. We have freedom in Christ. We talked about that a few weeks ago, and as a matter of fact, we heard a little bit about that last week, how we are free, right, from man-made rules. Paul earlier on talked about do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Remember, I added do not ride your bike on Sunday, right? Man-made rules. See, religion, you know, all these man-made rules, they don't have the power to transform us. As it says at the end of chapter 2 in Colossians, they have the appearance of wisdom. They seem to be good, but they are of no value. So we come now to a turning point in the letter. This is a pivotal point in this letter to the Colossians. And at this point, Paul turns his attention from this theological discussion and explanation. He turns toward practical application in other words what does this mean to us what does this look like how do we live this out what does it mean to live a life that's pleasing to god now our focus for today is going to be on colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through uh, 11 i think my slide actually says 1 through 14 i'm i'm wrong I think we're going to stop at 11. But, you know, there's something that I want us to all know before we get started here. See, everything that Paul writes from this point on assumes that you are a follower of Christ. He begins verse 1 of chapter 3 with, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Some translations say, if then you have been raised. Either way, either way, there's this supposition, there's an assumption that you have been raised in Christ, that you are in fact a follower, that you are in fact a Christian. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, that's awesome. We're, we're, we're glad you're here. We're so glad that you're here. And we extend a warm Hope Church welcome. But see, some of this might not make a lot of sense to you. Because this sounds a lot like a bunch of stuff that you have to do in order to be a Christian. Sounds like the rules police, right? But we know that that's not true. 
because there's freedom in Christ. Again, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Remember, we are not judged on religious performance. Isn't that a good thing? We don't earn our way into heaven. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much money you give. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you do. The only thing that saves us is the work of the cross. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that and that alone. In verse 20 of chapter 2, Paul reminds us that we died to the things of the world. We died to those old rules. We don't use that playbook any longer because we don't play for that team. We think differently. And Paul's been arguing that we're set free from those powers that surround us. He now tells us that we are free for a purpose. We are set free to live a life that is worthy of the calling. God's plan is to first make us new. Then he calls us to live in a new way. So Paul begins our passage today by helping us to have a proper focus in life. In Colossians 3, starting at verse 1, he writes this. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. So, as a reminder, in in chapter 2, Paul introduced this concept of dying with Christ, having been buried with Christ in our baptism, and raised, we are then raised with him from the dead. And Paul goes into a lot more detail about this in Romans chapter 6 and Galatians 2, where he talks about baptism as a burial and resurrection with Christ, the burial of the old self, before coming to faith, and the resurrection of the new self after coming to faith. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 2. He says, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And because of that, right, because of that last phrase there, because of that trade that Jesus made for us, we change our focus. We change the way we live. We no longer play for the world. We no longer play for our earthly desires. No, we are transformed. We now live for him live by faith in the one who loves us and traded himself for us. So we set our hearts and minds on things above, where Christ is. Our focus needs to shift from, from, from the rubbish of the world around our feet to things above. Seeking after, really what Paul is referring to here is a deeper knowledge of Christ and what it means to live for him. Elsewhere in Philippians 3, Paul states emphatically, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him. And you know, the Bible places great emphasis on knowledge of God, right? God gave you a mind, it makes sense that we would use it 
that we would grow in our knowledge. We've talked about this before. That's one of our goals is to grow in the knowledge and understanding of God. But the priority, the priority is on correct knowledge. That's why Paul goes to such great lengths to remind the Colossians and to remind us of what we've been taught, of what we know to be true, so that we will not be led astray, right, by false teachings, the things of the world. That's why we need to keep our feet on the ground, but our eyes directed up toward heaven where Christ is. And Paul goes on to remind us again in verse 3, ding, 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 memory verse. We don't even need to put it up on the screen. You guys already know it, right? Oh, we better put it up on the screen. Okay, verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And here what Paul's doing is he's echoing the words of the prophets of the Old Testament, right? The prophet Isaiah and the psalmist who remind us that with our trust in God, our lives are then secure, right? Our lives are hidden in him. And when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we die to our old selves, we're secure in him, we're hidden in him, and we look forward to the day when, as Paul says in verse 4, Christ, who is your life, appears. Then you will also appear with him in glory. Now there's a couple of things that I want us to notice from this verse. We can't let these things go. The first thing that we notice is that Paul says that Christ is our life. Christ is everything. In Philippians 1, Paul wrote this about himself. He says, to live is Christ. But here what Paul is doing is he's making it clear that this isn't just for apostles, right? This isn't just for, like, super Christians. No, this is for every believer how often do we hear people say things like oh well music is his life or you know sports is his life or he's so dedicated to his work what should people be saying about us as christians of christians it should be said jesus christ is his life The other thing that we see in this verse is, is, is just absolutely beautiful, friends, and that is the hope of the gospel, right? Our hope for eternity. Which, by the way, starts right now, right? You guys know that, right? Our eternity begins now. Yeah, okay, when we die, we're transformed, but our eternity has already begun. Listen to what Jesus prayed for. He prayed for us before his death. It's recorded in John chapter 17. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friends, eternal life begins here and now with knowledge of God. That's eternal life. And then, and then when Christ does return, what a glorious day that is going to be when he appears and we see him as he is, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ, 
the Savior of the world, then every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we will join in his glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's our hope. That's the hope of the gospel. So in these first four verses here, Paul has has helped us to understand this change of focus that needs to take place. That's, That's required for all those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you know that because these verbs that Paul uses here, they're, they're in the imperative, which means that this isn't a suggestion. This is a command. Change your focus. Now Paul begins to zero in on what this looks like. In verses 5 and 6, he writes this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So, because we have been raised with Christ, and because our focus has changed, the natural consequence of that is our behavior will change. We will no longer do the things that we used to do. Our minds, our thinking has been changed. It follows that our behavior would change as well, right? We are transformed. Paul talks about this elsewhere in Romans. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We no longer conform to the rules of the world, right? We're transformed by the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of God. And then Paul goes on to give us really what is an interesting list of sins here that we all must do away with. And he starts with sexual immorality. And to be honest with you, the three that follow are are very closely related. See, Paul implicates all four of these with sexual impurity. And then he adds covetousness. Because those are all forms of idolatry, right? Anytime you put anything before Jesus, that's a form of idolatry. And what Paul is referring to here, let's be very clear, he is referring to any sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage. That's what he's talking about. It's it's really quite simple. See, Paul uses... This uh, Greek word, uh, pornia, might sound familiar. It's where we get the, the word pornography. And he uses this when he talks about sexual immorality. He uses the same word when he's addressing the Corinthians. He uses the same word when he addresses the Ephesians. And it's clear what Paul's talking about here. And, and we know, we know that marriage, marriage is defined by the word of God as between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that, friends, is sin. I'm not making this stuff up. It's what the Word of God says. So, homosexuality? Anything LGBTQ or any of those other letters? 
polyamory or any of the other perverse relationships. It's all sin. It's all sin. Oh, by the way, that includes living together before being married. It's sin. If it's sin, we're going to call it sin. We're not going to apologize for it. The problem that we bump up against is that our society, right, culture has done its level best to try and make this all mainstream, right, to normalize it. That's what they want to do. They want to normalize these behaviors. And the sad fact is, the sad fact is that some Christians and some churches and some denominations have succumbed to this. They have. But what has Paul been teaching us here? What has he been teaching us in this letter? Do not be deceived. Don't listen to the teachers of false doctrine. Hold fast to what you've been taught. Hold on to what you know to be true. Because the wrath of God is coming for those who don't. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not making it up. But, you know, Paul acknowledges that, that we all used to be that way. He talks about that in, in verses 7 through the beginning of verse 9. He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself also of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. See, there was a time before coming to faith in Christ that the Colossians walked in those ways, but not anymore. Remember, in chapter 2, Paul says that since they had received Jesus Christ as Lord, they were to walk in Him, not according to the world. They don't play for that team anymore. Throw that playbook out. And, and then Paul throws in this, this other interesting list of sins to put off. And these sins here, these sins that he names in this verse, they talk really about relationships. They deal mainly with relationships, how we treat each other. And the focus is mainly on fellow believers, although this does extend to relationships beyond the church as well. But Paul's talking about mainly how Believers treat themselves. You know, throughout the New Testament, the writers make it clear how we are to treat one another. In the neighborhood of 100 times, we see instruction on how to interact with fellow Christians, right? Right? Accept one another, care for one another, be kind to one another, serve one another, bear with one another, pray for one another, speak truth to one another, don't judge one another, love one another. And this is coming right from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. See, these sins that Paul lists here, they are incompatible with someone who has submitted to the supremacy of Christ. You cannot stay the same. You have to change. You are transformed. Since, as Paul says at the end of verse 9 and into verse 10, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
And this Greek phrase that Paul uses here, this is a phrase that was commonly used for changing a set of clothes. So we, 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 we take off the old clothes, right? We take off the old uniform, if you will. We don't play for that team anymore. We put on the new uniform that identifies us as followers of Jesus Christ. We're on his team now. And it's the new man. It's the new man in that new uniform that is being renewed in the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God, very important. And the new man is hungry. The new man wants to know what God says. The new man hungers for the word. And at the end of this passage, Paul reminds us that among believers, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, this, this, this new team, right? The family of God doesn't favor any race. Doesn't favor any nationality or social status. No cultural or ethnic biases. It only favors Jesus. Because in this new family, on this new team, Christ is all and is in all. It is Christ that unites us. And what Paul has just done here for us is he's described unity. He's described what it means to be a member of a church. And he's described what it means to be a Christian. The three messages that we've heard over the last three weeks, Paul is really doing a great job of kind of summing that all up for us. We play on Jesus' team now. And anyone who's played on a sports team can tell you that the team is united in its mission. And everyone, everyone understands their part and what it means to work toward their ultimate goal. Sharing the gospel. Loving our neighbors and caring for each other. So the trade has been made. God traded his son for your life, for your soul. He wants you on his team so bad that he gave his life for you and for me. Now for those of us who call ourselves Christians, it's up to us to put off the old uniform and put on the new. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we put on that new uniform that identifies us as members of God's team. And if you're not a Christian, again, we're, we're really glad that you're here. We are so glad that you're here because we want you to know and we want you to understand that the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God is available to everyone today. See, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much sin you think you have in your past. 
you're not outside of the grace of God. You haven't gone too far. You want to be on the winningest team ever? The championship team? Give your life to Christ. He's already won the game. He's already won the title match when he died on that cross. And he made that trade for you. So take off that tired, old, dirty uniform that the world weighs you down with and put on the new uniform that guarantees your spot on the winning team for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and praise you, Lord. We thank you for the trade that your son made to pay the debt for our sins and to save us for all eternity. We thank you that you love us so much that you would do that, that you would give of yourself for us. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would would put off that old uniform and put on the new uniform and live lives that are worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Father, that's our prayer. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.